Hello, and welcome back to a brand new episode of the Silmarillion Film Project. I'm your co-host, Dave Kale, and today, uh, much like in uh, our previous season, we're going to be listening to and talking about music, possible scores and soundtracks, themes for characters, and it won't be hypothetical because we have a uh, wonderful community member named Phil who uh, has created some scores for us. We're going to be listening to those, and he's going to be talking about it with us. And we also have a special guest who's going to be talking about um, being a sub-creator within uh, Tolkien's own sub-creation, uh, or, or the fandom for that sub-creation anyway. So uh, let's get started. I'm going to introduce my uh, co-hosts, the Tolkien maven Trish Lambert and the Tolkien professor Corey Olson. And I'm going to let Corey uh, handle introducing our guests. Okay, very good. Yeah, thanks. So, so yeah, so we have uh, we have two guests here today. Uh, our, our first is Philip Menzies, who is our sort of resident film film composer. Uh, if you've been following along with film film from the beginning, you will recall uh, Phil's compositions from last year, as he was primarily focused in season one on uh, doing some uh, uh, different themes for the different Valar. Which, of course, we were, you know, talking about all the different ways that we can sort of incorporate uh, those themes and echoes of those themes uh, throughout the series. Uh, so that was a lot of fun last year. And this year we've got a whole bunch of new stuff. So, Phil, thanks for being able to join us uh, today. I know especially since Phil, of course, lives in Australia. And although we're broadcasting at a very reasonable hour of the morning uh, here in America, uh, it's a rather unreasonable hour. It's, I think it's a, it's a little after midnight down there, isn't it? Yes, that's right. I'm already in my pajamas, ready to go to bed afterwards. <laughs> that's right. Well, now let's be honest, Corey. For you, midnight is like that's your sweet spot. It's a little preferable <laughs> to 10 a.m. I got to admit, but uh, right. yeah, right. But not for everybody. <laughs> <laughs> exactly, and I understand that. I'm in that club too. <laughs> <laughs> that's good. That's good. Well, we are also joined by a very special guest, uh, 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 Tolkien artist Ted Naismith. Uh, welcome, Ted. Thanks for joining us today. Thanks, Corey. Nice to be here. Yeah. So, uh, we, you know, we've uh, we've been able to, to talk with you some before, of course. Uh, Ted Naismith uh, uh, did the illustrate, you know, worked with Christopher Tolkien on the illustrated Silmarillion. So he has a lot of experience with this, uh, you know, with sort of the this undertaking that we are more theoretically involved in, uh, this question of the adaptation of the Silmarillion and kind of thinking through the Silmarillion in some of these ways. Uh, but of course, it's especially fun. to. So I, you know, I hope that we will get to talk about some of our other kind of post-production stuff, thinking through uh, some of the, the visual concepts and ideas for season two that we've been discussing for the last couple of weeks. But of course, Ted is also a musician, so it'll be really interesting to hear uh, some of the thoughts that he might have on uh, some of the musical themes that we'll be discussing today as well. So uh, very glad uh, to have Ted with us. So we have a, we have a full panel uh, for this, which is our final episode of season two of the Silm Film Project, uh, which is uh, which is pretty exciting and looking forward to season three, but uh, uh, excited to be finishing season two with you guys today. Um, before we start, uh, just uh, a few quick announcements, just to make sure, because we've got some, we've got some exciting things coming up. We want to make sure uh, that you guys know about. First of all, Mythmoot, Mythmoot, which is going to be extremely exciting this year. Mythmoot, which is taking place from the first through fourth of June. It's our biggest conference. 
uh, of the year of, of, of a few years, a big four-day conference in the first weekend of June. Uh, Ted is going to be joining us. Uh, uh, so if you'd like to meet Ted and see some of his work and uh, uh, be able to, 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 to hang out with him some, we're delighted to have Ted joining us at, at MythMoot this year. Looking forward to that. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so now the registration deadline, the reason I'm bringing this up now, it might not seem in the middle of April that the Arjun conference is, uh, is extremely urgent, but our deadline for registration uh, is coming up pretty quickly. It was just recently extended. We now have through May 7th, but only through May 7th, so only a few weeks left in which to register. So I definitely encourage you, if you want to see more details about the conference, including the whole schedule and everything, uh, is a really great uh, pamphlet foot uh, that our events team has made up. Uh, so if you just if you go to signumuniversity.org, scroll down just a little bit and you'll see uh, the events uh, link. Uh, which is, of course, uh, uh, one of Ted's paintings. Uh, you will you will see right away, uh, and uh, so you just click on that, and it will take you to the MythMoot page, and you can get all the information uh, on MythMoot. Uh, it's going to be an awesome time. I really hope uh, that you're um, uh, that you're going to be able to, uh, to 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 join us there. Uh, the other thing is, as I've also mentioned a couple times, uh, uh, our uh, summer camp this year, our Hobbit Immersion Camp uh, for middle school kids uh, to come and be immersed in Tolkien's world and, and uh, uh, really have what may be for many their first in-depth encounter with Tolkien's world. We're so excited to be able to offer this. Uh, this is online and available to everybody across the world. Uh, we're doing this in partnership with local groups, whether it be uh, at public libraries, many of them. Uh, we have a few uh, a few homeschool groups that have signed up with us, uh, a few uh, private families or groups of families that have been signing up. Um, so if you have a, a group of kids or even if you just want to do it in your own family, uh, please do check this out. It's free to everybody. Uh, you know, so we're going to be helping to facilitate what we hope will be, you know, the beginning of a, 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 a life time of journeys in middle earth uh uh for the next generation here so we're uh i'm 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 particularly excited uh to be offering this so again you can get information on that in the same place signumuniversity.org and you will see the the yellow uh icon with the green dragon uh for uh, uh for the hobbit immersion camp um so very good. Let's get uh, let's get right into things here today. Talking about talking about music. So I wanted to start with uh, sort of a broader theme about music. And Phil, this is something that you raised in the discussion boards, which I think is a really interesting question to begin with, uh, which is a question of the of the Aino Lindale. So uh, and specifically the three themes of Iluvatar during the during the 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 Ainulindale, the you know the actual uh, uh, musical portion uh, as the discord of Melkor is rising up and we have these three different themes of Iluvatar that rise up against and sort of among the 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 the, the discordant elements of of Morgoth there of Melkor and uh, so we have the first theme right which is the 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 one that's originally played then you have the second theme which comes up um, which we're told later, uh, of which we're told later that Manway is the chief instrument. Uh, and, of course, the third theme, uh, which is we, uh, in, in which uh, uh, the, 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 the very sad and very beautiful theme. 
and I don't think we're going to attempt the uh, the the chord that's deeper than the abyss and higher than the firmament with which the music ends. I don't think we're going there. Uh, at least we shan't get to that chord for quite some time, I think, in the film film project. Um, one of the questions, uh, you know, Phil, that you raised in your discussion was basically to what extent, how do we map these themes? Um, because those kinds of themes, you know, it's not that we have to obviously replicate it and, and sort of, you know, composing the score for the Aino Indole is, is, is uh, pretty challenging. Um, but kind of conceptually thinking through those um those those themes, their roles in the history of Middle Earth, because you know, how would we want to incorporate some of those things? So, you know, the, one the, the the specific question, Phil, that you raised was, um, are is there a sort of a, a chronological mapping um, of those? And it's it's a really interesting question because, of course, when the when the vision comes, um, so we have the you know the music, and then after the music, they are shown the vision. Uh, of 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 Ea, and then the vision is taken away before the end, so they haven't seen the whole history of Arda. And in the vision, it's explicitly the history of Arda that's unfolding before them. And then time begins at the beginning, and the Valar realize that it's you know the stuff that they saw in the vision hasn't happened yet, and they have to bring it to pass. So the question is, how does the music work? We know that there is you know a direct link between the music and history, right? You know, the, 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 not only the creation of the, of, of AI itself, but the formation of all of its history is contained within the music because it is that which we're told that that's what the vision is. And when Iluvatar gives them the vision explicitly says, behold your minstrelsy. Like I'm going to show you visually the music that you did. Does that mean, therefore, that we can understand the unfolding of the themes in the music also to be a depiction of, uh, to be in some sense tied with chronology, with a historical unfolding of things uh, in Middle Earth? Um, I think that that's a really interesting question because, of course, if we think about it that way, it's gonna it's gonna affect what we associate with the different themes. Right. Um, if we're if we're sort of imagining the themes to be unfolding in that way, I'm not sure myself. I do see it unfolding uh, chronologically really directly, but I thought it was a it was a fascinating question. Um, so I just wanted to kind of throw that open first. What do you guys uh, any anything? You know, Phil, do you want to uh, do you want to kind of expand on that uh, to begin, maybe? Um, yes, Um Look, it might not be so much chronologically as thematically, mm-hmm. and I think and I think that there are so those three themes could be used to to good um, to to good measure um, within the series when themes associated with those three themes do crop up. Um, but yeah, yeah, yeah. I've all, I have always had a lot of trouble understanding those three themes um um, but uh one thing that did come to my attention during the um with all the forum discussions initially about the anal indolate was that everyone was just full-on discussing the actual anal indolate no one ever discussed what happens after that and and as i said the relation of that music to the rest of the series and and the history it was just like 
we're just going to do this music for the first episode and never come back to it. Right. Probably not. <laughs> right. Right. Yeah. So that, that, that was my starting point. That was, that, that was where I was coming from. Right. 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 Now that makes a lot of sense. Um, I, I, I have to admit that I, uh, I sort of tend to think about it that way too. Again, less, less thinking about it unfolding chronologically and more thematically. Um, in part, I think one of the reasons that I, that I think that is that it seems to me important that the, the, the transition from the music at the beginning, which they, you know, hear and participate in live to the vision that Iluvatar shows them, it needs to be something more than merely a recapitulation, right? This is not just him hitting the rewind button and saying, Hey, I'm going to give it to you in a different medium this time. Right. I mean, they shouldn't, there's a sense in which I feel like the, the, the Einor shouldn't need to be given the same thing again. Right. Um, it seems to me more likely under the, like just given sort of what's happening there, it seems to me more likely that what Iluvatar is doing when he's showing them the vision is let me show you what this amounts to, right? Like you, you were part of the music. I'm not just going to give you like a visual blow by blow of the music that happened, right? Um, like a musical sort of direct line by line trans, you know, a, a visual line by line translation of the music that happened rather um, the, the, what happened in the music, the, the, the themes and the ideas and sort of the meaning of the music meant in a particular way and, and happened in a particular way, but they don't know, they, they can't see, because they, they, they haven't seen the beginning of, of the, the world of time yet. They don't understand how, what the consequences of the music are. Right. Um, so in the vision, he's showing them, here's how this translates, right? Here's what this means when I give it being and set it going in time. Right. Um, and so that's where we get the introduction of chronology there. So I w- for that reason, I wouldn't see if the if the music is basically unfolding things chronologically, then that makes the relationship between the music and the vision a much more linear you know, one for one sort of phrase by phrase translation situation. And it's not that I think that that's inappropriate or, or silly or anything like that. It just seems that it would be kind of unnecessary in many, you know, in, in most cases, I mean, maybe there would be some, I know didn't really get it, but, um, uh, especially since we're told they had never seen anything before. So it's not like, let me give you a visual aid, because I know you guys are visual people, right? And this will make more sense to you. No, they'd never seen anything before. They'd not been visual at all. He's introducing the capacity for sight at the same time that he's doing this. So uh, so clearly that's not that's not the idea, right? Um, so th- to me, the, the, the sense of like taking the substance of the song and putting it into chronology and setting it going in time and showing here is, here is what is actually happening uh, to me makes a lot more sense. Um, And then of course there's the difference uh, because that, that then still has still makes all three steps of that process very significant, right? The music, which contains the essence of the entire history, um, though again, not spelled out linearly and chronologically, uh, the vision, which gives them a preview of what that is going to look like when it's translated visually and chronologically, or uh, 
linearly and chronologically. And then, of course, the actuality where they have to start back at the beginning and actualize it themselves through their own choices and their own actions. Um, And so, therefore, things don't, you know, are not as simple as they were, at least as it was to watch it unfold uh, in the vision, which was only partial in any case. Um, So to me, that just seems like a much more satisfying sort of construction um, without having it being merely repetitious. Um, So thinking about the, uh, the themes there, let's, uh, let's, Let's recall. I, I'm I'm willing to linger on this a while because this is uh, uh, this. I think this is a really important uh, issue. Um, let's um, let's let's actually read this bit here. Um, so this is the passage from the the description of the the first theme. Uh, it says, "A sound arose of endless melodies woven into harmony that passed beyond hearing into the depths and into the heights, and the places of the dwelling of Iluvatar were filled to overflowing, and the music and the echo of the music went out into the void, and it was not void um, what do you uh what do you guys associate with that? What kind of ideas would you say you know th- thinking about how do we apply that theme? What do we associate that theme with? Uh, what sort of suggestions do you guys have about that? Uh, well, I've I've got my suggestions on the on the forums, um, and I think I predominantly um, felt that that was. Um, to represent people working together mm-hmm. so so that that could be used predominantly in the first few first few episodes where the valar are learning to work together right. um and, and talks about the harmony and harmonies are obviously different people singing different things but it it, it all comes out that all, all sounds good um so, so, but, but thematically, yes, it could be when, when, when anyone is actually working for the good of all, mm-hmm. um, not just in those world-building um, episodes. Yes, yes, and it, it does seem to me since this is, since this is the primary theme, you know, this is this is the first theme of Iluvatar. Um, I, 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 I like the idea of not just when people work together, but, but, but really, I guess. I guess it is that same idea, but just sort of even more broadly, right? That um, the kind of the kind of unity, not uniformity, but uh, everything coming together to work towards a harmonious whole. Uh, this sense of like there will be moments, right? There'll be moments in the story when something that is at least like the original harmony that Iluvatar intended is gonna come about right it will be continually opposed and 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 frequently overcome by tragedy just as the first theme of Iluvatar was you know ultimately wrecked by the discord of Melkor um, but you know just as of course the discord will keep cropping up all over the place so too that initial that initial harmony will also keep coming back it's never you know it's 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 not uh 
it's not dead, you know, it's not like merely a memory of the music. It is still, in a sense, sort of the, the foundation of all of the music and all of the themes that come. Uh, so I do think that I, not, not only when people are, are actually working together, but anytime we are in, you know, that sort of that, 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 that place of peace and harmony, uh, you know, in, in the moments when things are going right and things are, and things are going well, um, you know, I would love to have some kind of memory of, uh, of, of this theme. Uh, I think that would be, and I'm trying to think of, um, think of examples in the Silmarillion context where that theme might be played or like a variation on that theme might be played. Can you guys think of some examples of where we would get that kind of harmony, that kind of like, and here's a little glimpse of like where, where things are right in the world. Anybody have any suggestions? Hmm. <laughs> you ask that question, of course, immediately my mind goes blank. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I haven't read this whole part, part of the books for so long now too. Um, yes. Yes. struggling with the, you know, yeah, just recalling things. Yeah. Um, I, I, let's see, Nick, uh, some of our, uh, our, our listeners have suggestions. Nick is suggesting Gondolin when everything is working out. I agree. Like the establishment of Gondolin at the beginning, I, I would think that like the glimpse into the Valley of Gondolin when Gondolin is at peace, uh, and, uh, uh, not yet shutting its, doors to people hate pursued um would be would be a a good example tony mead suggests the building of valinor um yeah yeah i agree um that's a good example of the two trees or any of these other uh seminal events yes yes yeah i was gonna say it's it's probably a lot of things happening early in the book (laughs) (laughs) And then we get decreasingly, yeah. and then we get decreasingly less instances of this as as it goes, as the story goes on. Right. Maybe a little bit. Of, um, what about? Um, so uh, here's a question: Is this something that would be played when the elves are going to Valinor? Well, I would think. <sighs> I think it would be interesting because, of course, uh, 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 Kimber was just pointing out uh, that. Lenway and the Green Elves deciding to stay and teach the Ents could also be a similar moment in that regard. Now, Phil, I know you have a theme uh, for this, you know, which we'll which we'll get to talking about later on. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think it would be. Uh, I mean, so of course, Dave, the thing that you're pointing to here is basically sort of the 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 whole crux of the entire season two, right? <laughs> what is the purpose of Elves? You know, are they supposed to stay? Are they or are they supposed to go? I think it would be kind of fun to sort of play with that, right? To have to, to have echoes of the theme happen in both places. I'm not quite sure I'd want to give that theme to the Avari, but I, I wouldn't be averse to, to, you know, giving echoes of the theme to Lenway's meeting with Treebeard, for instance. So, uh, yeah, Ted, one of the things we did in season two, uh, when uh, when the, the, the first branch of the Sindar stay, when you know, the, the ones that will become the... Uh, the green elves and the and right. the, uh, the 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 sylvan elves. Um, we've decided that that they've they've chosen to stay not just because they're unwilling to go on, but because they uh, they feel a positive love for Middle Earth. And the particular incident that we have uh, is the awakening of the trees. And uh, them you know, he meets Treebeard and he teaches Treebeard to speak. 
as sure, Treebeard right. recalls in the Two Towers. Uh, so the, the the connection between Lenway uh, and Treebeard uh, in Fimbrethil uh, is because of course they're still together at the time. Um, is uh, uh, is is sort of the 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 sort of symbol of the relationship between the Sylvan Elves and the land of Middle Earth that they decide to stay in and enrich rather than continuing the journey off into Valinor. Um, right. So yeah, so having 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 an echo of the of the of the first theme in the background when you know Lenway meets Treebeard, I think would be appropriate. Just as I also think it would be appropriate to have an echo, you know, a, a different echo of that theme playing. As the Vanyar and Noldor are arriving in Valinor, you know, and co- sort of coming into coming into Valmar, I mean, I think in the end, the the um, the <laughs> the kind of cop out answer that we're coming to our big question from season two is that there isn't really a, a right answer to that question. <laughs> it's not exactly one way or the other. What, what it is about is about individual choice, right? That's what, that's what uh, we're going to be coming to in the frame uh, story with Arwen. And that's what we're, uh, you know, what we're going to be focused on is the individual choices that are made and why those choices are made and the, 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 the different people finding uh, their purpose in different things and recognizing that their purposes differ and are, and are not all the same. Um, but yeah, uh, I think we should yeah. have a policy actually yeah. about this. Well, because, you know, if you think about it, I mean, I can think of, now that my brain has unstuck, I can think about, you know, through the whole story, where yeah. there are beginnings, there is this, you know, there is this element, right. this this working together element. And so, you know, not only, like you were saying, the elves, you know, I'm thinking like the big elf kingdoms, you know, I mean, Thingol's kingdom as well as, as Turgon's, you know, they yeah. have that, ele- they all have that element in the beginning. But then if you look further down the line, you know, the elves in Eregion and Holland with the dwarves. Yes. Uh, yes. Numenor, when it first gets established, you know, even when Elendil and his sons come back, you know, so this, this is really important. And I think, you know, that theme in some form, I think should be threaded anytime, you know, it's going to show up anytime there's a beginning. I mean, everything yes. ends up going to tragedy. Eventually, <laughs> right. It seems like in every one of those stories, but at least in the beginning, you know, we do that. So I think this is significant, you know, and I mean, it's like I say, you know, there ought to be a policy statement about this, you know, anytime there is, you know, a beginning, we right. need to think about the we need I to... suggested that I suggested that this could become the great theme of of Beleriand and its realms. Right, right. Yeah, no, exactly. Because really, each one of those. I mean, just as uh, you know, we talked about Gondolin and and you know the establishment of you know of 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 Nargothrond. What about you know uh, you know Mithros setting up his fortress uh, in the in in the Gap, right over you know that that also you know standing against Melkor. Though maybe that might be the second theme. Um, but um, anyway, no, I, I, I agree. And I, I do think that the idea that this theme is recapitulated, even in sort of comparatively minor ways, that actually seems to me fundamentally true to the shape of Tolkien's storytelling, right? Where you have this great beginning and then that story is repeated and repeated, even though it kind of gets smaller as the echoes kind of fade uh, throughout uh, uh, the years. But but we should be getting it again and again. I think we should get it when sure. Baron meets Luthien. I think that we should get. We should certainly, as a couple people were suggesting, uh, get it uh, with when uh, uh, when Elendil arrives and is welcomed in by Gilgalad, and we have the forging of the last alliance, um, as several of you were were suggesting. Definitely, Council of Elrond. 
The Council of Elrond. You know? Yes. Yes. <laughs> I think I also said that uh, any form of sub-creation that happens, so you could also take it as far as um, uh, Alay creating the dwarves. Yeah. Um, you, could, you could even have it as the background to um, Feanor um, actually creating the actual process of creating the Silmarils. Yes. Yes. It, no, connecting it with sub-creation, I think, is, is pick, does pick up on another really important element of that first theme. Um, because, of course, it's something that, I don't know, I, the concept of the music of the Ainur is something that has become so familiar to Tolkien fans that sometimes, I know, I forget to kind of sit back and, and recognize what a big deal it is, right? I mean, the way in which the way in which the Aino Lindelay, uh, Iluvatar is an incredible delegator, Right. I mean, we're talking about, you know, this is this is, you know, in Tolkien's world, God himself has delegated creation. Right. He 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 establishes creation, uh, the, the creation of the entire world in its history. And he puts that in the hands and within the wills of his creatures. Right. Uh, it's his creation. Right. It's you know, it's it is uh, uh, the, the power of 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 literal creativity rests with Iluvatar, right, uh, in the imperishable flame. And it's only he who can give the, you know, the flame of creation and, and reality. It's only he who can say Ea, and yet what he's saying Ea to, what he's saying be to, is the the thought of his creatures, right, the sub-creation of his creatures. That sub-creation is in this sense not just a uh, a, a sort of you know, ornamental thing or something like that, but it is essentially the very fabric of creation itself. It's a big deal. Uh, and so therefore, yes, connecting, you know, it's, so it's not just like harmony and cooperation that is essential to that first theme. It is people doing any time that anyone is involved as a sub-creator. Um, you know, think about the things that Tolkien said in his great poem, Mythopoeia, right? And, uh, and, and what he says about, uh, you know, the man, the sub-creator, made in the image of a maker. Um, you know, and, and, and that, again, is, is only an echo, again, of, uh, of what we see with, uh, with the Valar. So, so, so Phil, I, I do agree with that. Um, and I think that that's actually going to be a really interesting thing to sort of connect, right? To sort of you know, when we see sub creators at work, um, to, uh, uh, to 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 have that theme, you know, to, if the theme were only like a triumphant everything is happy theme, which it could sure. easily become, that would be one thing, right? But it would be, I think, it will make it really interesting to interweave that into these moments, which are not themselves always necessarily happy or even obviously good. That creation of the Silmarils is one, right? The creation of the Silmarils is one of the great acts of sub-creation and yet also, you know, going to have some pretty serious negative consequences for the history of Arda. I mean, it's, 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 it's not all roses, right? And even, you know, the other example you gave, Phil, with the creation of the dwarves, right? At the moment he's creating the dwarves, Aule is screwing up and doing something wrong. And yet the sub-creative process itself, you know, the, uh, is 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 not a wrong thing. That's a fulfillment of his being, as indeed he goes on to argue to Iluvatar, right? Um, yeah, yeah. So, Corey. Yeah. I'm just, uh, yeah, listening to all that. Uh, quite interesting um, where you're going with that. And I have a couple of thoughts here. Um, okay. Or, and a question, actually. Would the original theme of Iluvatar 
um, include sad elements. Um, yeah. Or even Melkor starts in with his cacophony and his kind of darkness, um, in which case it would be an, an, a kind of acknowledgement that by the uh, act of creation, it sets in motion things which um, don't are always harmonize or um, that have maybe darker implications and so on because of the fact of the free will issues. And uh, you know, he's giving this charge of the Valar to do these things, but probably one could assume um, there's um, an element of uncertainty and chance and, uh, and all of those things, which you know are natural to the unfolding of a creation like that, a world. So that's one thing that I'm wondering about. Um, and uh, you know, I thought back when you said you know it's kind of a unique and, and profound concept to have this music that sort of signals creation in, in, in a different medium. You have the both visual and and the musical side of it. Um, well, the, I think the ancient pagans probably had a lot of uh, similar ideas, not necessarily maybe musical, but uh, the idea of delegating to right. the, the main creation to the gods that are lower. Right. That's kind of a constant in many of these traditions, and I'm sort of reading up on a lot of that stuff nowadays, so uh, it's yeah, fresh in my mind. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, that's right. And um, I, it, But there's a wonderful question that you ask there, too. Um, does the first theme of Iluvatar have to just be a happy theme? And I know when I ask it in that sense, it makes it sound like a, a, a simplistic and trite question, but it's a really interesting question. Um, I mean, of course, the sort of the drama of the music as it unfolds, the sadness is a reaction, right? The sadness of the third theme is a reaction to the discord, um, and yet, um, you know, you think of Iluvatar's words, right? None may alter the music in my despite. Um, right. You know, this is... Uh, uh, Melkor rebelled against the will of Iluvatar, and yet the music that was formed is, you know, does not violate the plan of Iluvatar. Well, it ultimately um, is incorporated into it. I yes. Think it was kind of the idea. Yes. Which yes. is a, a you know wonderful kind of uh, wow, <laughs> yeah, and yeah. Like I'm thinking about how you could have this main theme and it's not elaborated on. Now uh, you introduce a number of themes in terms of real music and composition of the music. I mean, you would write this thing, and then for any instance where the Valar are actually uh, you know going forward and creating based on the theme that theme is, could now be elaborated on musically and, you know, kind of like Goldberg variation set of ideas. Mm -hmm. um, you know, you could go a long way with just like an integrated kind of whole musical concept that starts with a basic set of themes and then elaborates on them at points where, you know, they come into play in the actual creational process. Um, and that seems to me it would be quite exciting. Yeah, 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 I agree. I agree. Um, and I think one of the ways in which we could sort of um, talk about the the integration of the of of or I guess sort of breaking this a simplistic association between the first theme and everybody being happy, right? 
that's the thing that I would think when I'm thinking about not not just thinking about the actual composition of the theme, but thinking about the application of the theme within the within the adaptation, right? Um, if we reserve it just for like happy bucolic scenes with like you know little lambs tripping across like you know uh, 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 lush green grass and everybody happy and enjoying themselves, um, I think it does risk giving too simplistic of uh, a vision of what the original harmony of Iluvatar was. Um, right. And maybe we do bring it in in places where, and, you know, we already, you know, in the context of subcreation, we already talked about it kind of coming in and in potentially sort of sketchier situations or potentially sort of more, more morally complex situations. Um, we could even do that in other ways as well. One interesting suggestion that, uh, uh, that uh, Hakan, one of our uh, listeners, had already had been suggesting is, what about when Melkor is pardoned? Uh, which is fascinating, right? Because I could see it, right? That the, the act of, 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 of mercy um, that is being shown to Melkor by Nienna and Manwe in particular, to, see, to show how that, would, that is in keeping with that first theme of Iluvatar, and even though it's wrong. Right? You know, even though in the end it has tragic consequences, um, that's that still and and even though the readers or you know the readers the viewers might uh, might 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 will recognize right they will probably be uh, feeling dread about the release of Melkor uh, and yet to have that you know and, and therefore not to just kind of reinforce that but to. Uh, to kind of complicate that reaction uh, with a reiteration of that first theme there, I think would be really interesting. Mm-hmm. It could be a really rich musical moment, in fact. Yeah, yeah, it really could. There'd be a bunch of different things there. Um, yeah. yeah. Um, similarly with uh, L.A. and uh, the creation of the Silmarils by Fëanor, those two things could represent times when the blending of the music you, know, you could bring up the Melkor theme a little bit, you know, or have it echoing in the background. These kinds of things are wonderful. It's just, uh, you know, rich uh, kind of possibilities for a composer. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, I... <laughs> exactly. As I, as, I, as I think about, you know, these things, it, it's, it's, there's so much fun you can have with a, with a soundtrack, you know, uh, behind, behind these scenes. It, it, uh, it's, it's, it's always... Some fun. of the great operas definitely play with those kinds of ideas. Definitely, yeah, yeah. Um, well, let's think about the second theme. So, uh, so after the Discord uh, uh, is, has been going on now, uh, uh, it says, the new theme began like and yet unlike the former theme, and it gathered power and had new beauty. Um, and, uh, and we're told that Manwe was the chief instrument of the second theme that, that Iluvatar had raised up against the discord of Melkor uh, later on. Um, so what do we think about the application then of the, of the second theme? Phil, you had suggested on the forums of associating this with, uh, basically acts of open defiance against Melkor, right? You know, for, to something, Uh, something that can be played when, when people are, are standing against Melkor, right? Yes. Yes. Um, obviously it would have to be associated with, uh, Manway's theme. Manway's theme would have to be fairly strong in there. Right. Um, but, 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 but yes, yes, that, that, um, yeah, not, not just open defiance, but, um, uh, 
barricading um, defenses, right? Um, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and any sort of any sort of action uh, opposing um, Melkor. Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Because as you as you say, it's not especially. See, this is the thing that that to me is sort of most interesting about this. On the one hand, you can see it coming up in lots of. Um, you know, military situations, action scenes, right? You know, the pe- people who are defying the armies of, 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 of Morgoth. And yet it's, as you say, closely linked with Manway's theme. And Manway, especially in, in the way that we depicted Manway in season one, is, uh, is, is against conflict, right? He's primarily the advocate of peace and harmony. Um, so, you know, it, it's... Uh, Having the having sort of combining those two elements, right? That uh, uh, that desire to establish, and even in the case of the second theme, to reestablish harmony, to reestablish harmony defiantly in the face of conflict, right? Not to meet conflict with conflict, uh, but to uh, to meet conflict with peace in an attempt to reestablish harmony um, rather than merely to suppress discord. That's the drama of Manway in season one, right? Um, which is why season one, ultimately, you know, the, 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 the final battle that ends up in the captivity of Melkor is a, is a failure, is a tragedy, right? Because in the end, they had to meet force with force um, and could not resolve the situation into harmony. Um, but uh, so anyway, so I mean, that, that kind of, in a sense, rejection of, of conflict is an important part of Manway's idea. And yet, of course, this theme clearly has to be what, you know, when, uh, when, when Mithros is, uh, uh, is establishing his fortress on Himring and, and, uh, uh, you know, in, 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 and, and, you know, holding back the, the armies of the orcs, uh, when Fingolfin is beating on the gates of Ang, of Angband, both times he does that, uh, you know, uh, in, in the children of Hurin, Nick, I agree with you. Um, you know, when Hurin is, uh, is defying Morgoth to his face, right? We need to have that theme then as well. So having it serve both functions, you know, having it be, um, you know, non combat, not just a, an action theme, a, a sweeping military theme, right? A, uh, you know, hold fast and fight against the power kind of theme, but, but also one which is about, again, reestablishment of harmony and, uh, uh, and opposing, uh, hatred and conflict, not with strength, uh, primarily or exclusively, uh, but with, but with love and peace and harmony that, that would just, again, that really makes for another really interesting and complex, uh, kind of theme and application of the theme. Yes, I think also, um, uh, I think I mentioned um, Valinor being like a bastion. Um, right. And going back to that scene from the first season of looking at the peace of Valinor versus the turmoil and chaos of Middle-earth at that, at that time, um, it really stands out as a bastion of hope and, and actually stands against Melkor and right. what Melkor stands for. Right, right. Right. Yes. Yes. And I would think uh, Tyrion, especially when the Noldor and Vanyar are living there together at the beginning, you know, so when we're showing the raising of Tyrion, 
at the beginning and the raising of Alqualonde after the Teleri arrive. The, those would be good times for that. I mean, of course, there's some there's a bunch of the third theme of the, of the first theme there as well, as we were talking about beginnings and harmony and things like that and subcreation. Those things are also sort of involved. But when we're focused on on the people, right? Uh, uh, I, I think that would be that would be kind of a neat moment for it. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, I would think I, I'm 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 coming back to the children of Hurin as Nick was suggesting there, um, and that to me is a really fascinating kind of example of this because, and I, I would love to do that. I, I would love to. I mean, when we get to Turin, you know, uh, in you know uh, what five to ten years, um, I would really like to focus on his defiance of Morgoth, right? I mean, it's easy to focus on Turin's folly, right? On the stuff he does wrong and the stuff he screws up. Um, but to, to sort of show that in his, you know, continual defiance of his fate and of, uh, and of, of Morgoth, he, he is, um, you know, though not the most shining success in the world, he still is the son of his father, you know, when it comes to uh, uh, being willing to stand up and defy the power. Um, so I, 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 I do like the idea of interweaving the second theme there with a lot of what he does. Mm-hmm. Bara here in the Outlaws. Right, I'm thinking Bari here, like the the the. I could see the second theme being heavily involved in, like, uh, th- stuff that happens within the the outlaws' camp, right? Uh, that I can that I can definitely see. When Tuol finds uh, the armor that's been uh, yes. prepared for him, yes, at Vinyamar, absolutely, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that'd be great. Of course, we we have to have a bunch of Olmo theme worked in there as well, right? You know, in in fact, Phil, it's one of the things we're going to need as we go forward, right? Is the uh, influence of Olmo in the in the events of Middle Earth, like that? You know, the a sort of a a, a a a a subset of the Olmo of the main Olmo theme, right? A recapitulation of the main Olmo theme when Olmo is. Uh, helping make things happen <laughs> in Middle Earth because we, you know, we see his activity so much more directly than we see the activity of most of the other Valar through the later portions of, of the Silmarillion. Um, but should, yeah. Should Omo, should, should, I mean, that brings up an interesting question though. Um, are those cases where we should have, where, where we should be playing a separate Omo theme or should Omo's appearances sort of hearken the recapitulation of these of these uh, sort of overall, you know, kind of story of Arda themes. Yeah. Theme one, yeah. theme two, theme three. Like, to what to what extent do we want him to have his own theme, or to what extent do we want him actually associated with these main themes? Yeah, well, I think it's... that's related. Yeah, related to the question I asked about the echo of the music in the water as well. Right, so, exactly, yep. yeah. Yeah, and I'm going to... Uh, <laughs> uh, I'm going to... Uh, I, I, I want to come back to that after we finish talking about the Anuindale because that's a really interesting question there too. So yeah, yeah, well, yeah, we'll 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 come back to that uh, particular so, issue uh, as well. Seems like theme two would pop up a lot during Baron and Luthien. Yes, yes, definitely. Um, or should they kind of have their own special theme? Well, I mean, they should clearly, you know. Uh, but 
but I definitely but that's of course part of the part of the fun, right? Says the yep. non-composer to the composers is to, uh, to to kind of take these different elements and blend them together, right? We're the executive producers. Just make it so. Exactly. I'm I, 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 I'm physically waving my hands as I'm saying this, right? Like you just kind of do that, right? You 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 kind of bring those things together. Not a problem. <laughs> um, but yeah, I, I I would love for the. Um, thinking about Luthien and her dancing, right? The music that is played when she's dancing in Doriath, when Baron sees her for the first time, should be connected to the first theme. But the music that she dances to when she dances before Morgoth and Angband should be connected to the second theme. Or even the third... And No, but then the music uh, of her song that she sings before... Um, uh, uh, before Mandos should be pure third theme, right? Uh, so I love the the way that we can kind of plant those three themes, uh, you know, at these sort of crucial moments of you know Luthien and her art there throughout throughout her career. That'd be really cool. Yeah, that's a whole huge thing in itself. That that would be. Um, and uh, I just wanted to mention this is Ted speaking, by the way. Yeah. Um, having composed a song cycle for Baron and Luthien. And that was a, a wonderful thing to try and do. Uh, right. I was working with my friend, Alex Lewis, who uh, wrote most of the words. And then I sort of adapted them to themes that I came up with. And, and in some cases integrated his themes that he'd written, but I didn't listen to until um, later on. And it was a really great collaboration between us, I felt, um, and I had integrated into all the songs um, a certain chord progression that, you know, kind of introduces a bit of a, a, a somber note. Um, the whole thing is kind of shot through with a certain amount of sadness while there are triumphant themes. And uh, yeah, it changes keys uh, to, to major and minor fairly regularly, but all is based in A minor. So I was having a lot of, uh, you know, creative satisfaction uh, dealing with some of these kinds of questions, although I didn't integrate themes like um, when, say, Luthien is, is dancing and, and return to them in different ways. That would be an amazing uh, possibility as well. Yeah, yeah. I just thought I'd throw that in there. Yeah, I know. That's great. That's great. I, I, I hope that we, can, uh, that we can hear some of the Baron and Luthien uh, uh, music at Mythmoot. That'd be really fun. Actually, yes, I, I think that's a good chance. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I will make a point of it, actually. Excellent, yeah, yeah. Now we've got uh, maybe around the fire pits outside one evening or, you know. Uh, uh, no. I'll be doing a bit of music um, properly, formally as well. I, I believe good. that we're planning to do that. Very good, excellent. Yeah, that's, that's, that's exciting. Um, cool, cool. Um well, let's think about the third theme, since I, I, I've raised the issue of the third theme. And, of course, the third theme is the one that, that, that usually gets more focus because more is said about it. Uh, it's described in more detail. Um, and uh, the Anilindale says, It was unlike the others, for it seemed at first soft and sweet, a mere rippling of gentle sounds and delicate melodies, and it could not be quenched, and it took to itself power and profundity. And it seemed at last that there were two musics progressing at one time before the seat of Iluvatar, and they were utterly at variance. The one was deep and wide and beautiful, but slow and blended with an immeasurable sorrow from which its beauty chiefly came. Oh. Uh, yeah, yeah. 
Um, now, this is associated uh, uh, to some extent uh, with sort of inescapably through the references to sorrow. Uh, it's associated with Nienna, uh, right? But I don't think it's necessarily just identified with Nienna, but certainly Nienna's uh, weeping uh, should be an intrinsic... Uh, uh, you know, her theme should clearly be connected. Um, maybe not quite as intimately as Manway's theme is connected to the second theme, but but I think there there, there clearly should be links there. Um, it's also, as Marie was reminding us earlier, early on, it's that third theme that is also associated with the children of Iluvatar as well. Yeah, uh, yeah. Tony was just saying the same thing, um, and because uh, it it says the children of of Iluvatar were conceived by Iluvatar alone, and they came with the third theme and were not in the theme, which Iluvatar propounded at the beginning, and none of the Ainur had a part in their making. Um, so they are, the children of Iluvatar are explicitly associated uh, with the third theme. I don't think, of course, that means, obviously, that the first and second themes can't ever be associated with the children of Iluvatar, but I think, basically, one of the things that this clearly means is when we're looking at issues like loss, and uh, and grief, you know those things which, you know the Valar, they they experience loss. I mean, like that's what they're experiencing when at, at the darkening, right? When the trees are destroyed. Um, but it's but it's not exactly the same, right? They they don't experience loss in the same way. They don't experience grief in the same way. Um, there is something of, of course, especially of mortality. Um, but not even just of, 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 of mortality in the human sense, as, of course, elves can experience this sort of grief and loss right. uh, as well. Um, but just as we were, as we were saying with the others, we, don't, we, we wouldn't want the first theme to be associated merely with, like, super happy, cheerful uh, uh, events. So, too, we wouldn't want to oversimplify the third theme and just make it, this is the sad theme, when everybody is unhappy and crying, right? We, we, we don't want that either. Um, we want to make sure that we're emphasizing not just the sadness of the third theme, but the beauty of the third theme, and the fact that it is especially associated with beauty through sorrow. Um which is particularly tricky uh, uh, to be able to depict. Any moments that, that kind of uh, occur to people as sort of quintessentially third theme moments? I've already mentioned one, uh, 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 Luthien's song before Mandos uh, at the end. Uh, Nick suggests the passing of Muriel. Uh, that certainly, Nick, se- seems like a really good opportunity for you know uh, an early... It's. I mean, it's one of the first sort of personal tragedies of that kind, right? We. I mean, we've had issues with the elves already. I mean, even just the the discord at Quivienen and the the splitting with the Avari um, was a loss of a kind, but not of that kind, right? So I agree that the the passing of Muriel should certainly be be associated with it. Mm-hmm. I, I suggested the be it related to the unrest of the Noldor. Mm-hmm. In season two, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I think yeah, that's that's when the tragedy really starts. Yes, yes, and you can see also. I, and I'm thinking about that for a second because, of course, that that also fits in the other way, right? The the 
the results of the unrest of the Noldor and the rebellion of the Noldor, it's it's another illustration of the same principle that Iluvatar says to Melkor at the beginning, right? What they're doing is wrong, and it's going to have bad consequences for others and for themselves, uh, uh, quite obviously and quite immediately. Uh, and yet, um, it will, in the end, have been good to have been. Right, um, the 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 things which will emerge from it, you know, it it is going to be taken up into the music and made a triumphal part of Iluvatar's theme, um, and I think that we can. That would be a really interesting thing to sort of suggest and try to suggest that it's it's not it's not just a black and white thing. It's one of the things that I think is is so fascinating, right? This is the classic criticism of Tolkien that people, especially who haven't read him much or very carefully uh, or all the way through, um, often say, right, that Tolkien's stories are just too simplistic. Everything is black and white. Everybody's really good or everybody's really evil. And the more you look at it, the more you see how fundamentally untrue that criticism is. Um, uh, again, it's not just oversimplified. I mean, all you have to do is listen to anybody say it, and you can tell it's it's oversimplified. Um, but it's profoundly untrue, um, and uh, uh, in some really fascinating ways. And of course, the Silmarillion is 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 uh, is where uh, where you really see that um, so so clearly. Ooh, Carita has a great one. Carita suggests you know a moment that is particularly sad and beautiful is when Turin meets Neonor. Yes. That's a wonderful example, Carita. Yeah, yeah. Um, and and think of think of that same, um, almost the same music, right? With some, in you know, intensifiers, right? Uh, the second time, but I would think almost the same music would be playing in the background when Turin comes across Neonor, right, and takes her in, and when Neonor is standing over Turin's body, right, having just had the truth revealed to her by Glaurung, and she is saying, farewell, O twice beloved, right? Um, that same capturing of those, you know, conflicting th- both the horror and the beauty uh, and tenderness of that moment. Yeah, yeah. That would be, that, that's, a, that's an awesome third theme moment. There are, uh, the introduction of men mm-hmm. and second children, clearly, and, and death. Yes. Another big one, really, yeah. as far as thematic. Yeah, yeah. Um, one of the things, Ted, that we're planning for um, for season four, season three, chronologically, is going to go for... So season two spans from uh, the awakening of the elves at Quivian and through the darkening of Valinor. Season three is going to start with, uh, like, episode one of season three is is likely to be Feanor's speech in Tyrion by Torchlight, right, when he right. stirs up the Noldor to leave. So we're going to get, uh, in the in the opening phases of season three, we're going to get the, the, the kinslaying in Aqualande, we're going to get the journey of the of the Noldor, we're going to get the, uh, the, you know, up to the burning of the ships and the crossing of the Hell Caraxa. I think we were talking about ending season three, if I recall correctly, with the death of Feanor. Um, in the in the in the first battle, maybe with the death of Feanor and the and the crossing of the Helcaraxa, right 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 around there. Season in season four, um, when we get more of the the you know the early stages of things in Beleriand, and I think we're going to go 
we had sketched out to go through the uh, the Battle of Sudden Flame, the Dagor Bragalak at the at the end of season four, and one of the one of the main kind of dramatic storylines that we were going to do, we were going to make a a, a a lot of uh, a big deal out of the story of Andreth from Morgoth's Ring uh, and the 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 relationship or the the relationship that was not uh, between uh, the, the human woman Andreth and uh, Ignor the Elf Lord uh, uh, Finrod's brother. Um, so anyway, that, that moment, I mean, I'm thinking of, so third, when it comes to third theme moments, I'm thinking, you know, the moment, uh, there, there, there should be a lot of third theme around the, uh, the, the love between Andreth and, and Ignor. um, tragic in a different way. Um, but basically, you know, his, well, I don't, I don't want to say rejection of her cause he's not rejecting her. He loves her, but, um, his, uh, uh, you know, insistence on walking away from their relationship, you know, uh, and his reasons for that would definitely be third theme connected, I would think. Right. And, and Numenor, how would we do the third theme in Numenor? That's a good question. Because it's obviously connected, right? And we, we've, we've got the mortality issue. Um yeah, yeah. Um, we've got the mortality issue, but it's not. It's not. I mean, there's the, there's a lot of 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 simply the discord in there as well, and that to me is one of the things that's going to be really fun to play with, is how we relate the third theme to the to the discord, right? To actually like horrible things that people are doing to other people on purpose, right? You know that kind of manifestation of the discord, uh, because again. The 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 what is happening in the third theme um, is that uh, uh, the most triumphant notes of Melkor's music are being taken by that third theme and woven into its own solemn pattern. Right. So um, the third theme is another way in which we show that even the things where it seems like the bad guys are winning, even the most tragic and horrible things that happen. Um, are themselves part of the beauty of the third theme and taken and uh, uh, taken into it. Um, yeah, so it's uh, it's it's uh, it's it's going to be interesting to think about uh, as we as we go through. Um, yeah. Again, see, my impulse, my impulse is to uh, simplify it, right? To focus on the third theme either when we're just focusing on grief and sadness, right? Like when we're showing the dead bodies at Alqualonde and the mourning, uh, you know, the the mourning of the Teleri, both for their kin who have been killed and for their ships that have been stolen. Uh, And of course, that is a third theme issue, right? But it's not just about sadness, right? It's not just about like, isn't this awful? Um, it's 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 much more than that. Uh, yeah. So really, really trying to kind of inca- capture the concept of the third theme is uh, is really interesting. Seems to me that you'd have to have a kind of a wheel of time theme, um, right? Of, of events and historical, uh, you know, uh, things. 
you know, here we are, another step in you know, the uncertain um, unfolding of creation. Right, right. Yeah. Well, let me go th- uh, uh, fill the one last um, sort of broad thematic question like this that I want to address, and then we'll mm-hmm. we'll listen to some of your uh, your 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 particular th- season two themes here. Um, is uh, the the issue of water uh, again? This was something else that you raised on the forums, Phil, which I thought was really was really fascinating. Uh, your emphasis on the fact that we're told that it is in it is in water that both that Olmo is the one who is who is who is most in, most instructed in music. Um, you know, he is he is the greatest of the musicians of all of the Ainur, um, and that it is in water that you can most clearly hear the echo of the music. And so, so Phil, why don't you uh, tell us a little bit about some of the ideas that you had about how we could kind of use that both musically and sort of visually uh, uh, in the series? Yeah, I suppose I was wondering whether, initially I was wondering whether it would just be Olmo's theme, but then when I thought about it a little bit more, I thought, no, well, it has to be all of the music. Um, right. Does that include um, Melkor's Discord? So that was a big thing. Should the echo that we hear in the water include that discord? Right. Um, or or should it be predominantly the first thing? Um, I was then I was then thinking of and of course the, the, the one scene that comes to mind in the Silmarillion is Lake Ivrin, um, with where the two are and the Turin and the two or stories intersect. And um, and I was thinking, Oh, what if what if when uh, Turin comes and finds it polluted that we hear the echo of Melkor's discord. Right. So that the water's not just having the echo of the good themes, the positive themes, but it's all of the music. And that's what Levita says. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It doesn't matter what was in the music, it's all in the music. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, the corruption could be echoed. Um, in the in in the water, though I know that's a bit bit further down the track. But, um, <laughs> yes. Yeah, also, a long way down the track. But um, but yeah, so I also thought about well, if the echo was the echo is really important, um, um, we could um, incorporate water and that echo a lot more. That could be sort of transitions from one scene to another. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think I I ended up by saying this could be the show about water um right if it's if it's used effectively and if it's used as a theme throughout the entire series yes yes um and i i certainly like the idea especially as relates to the sea right because i i do think that one of the one of the broader things that we're going to need to deal with and of course obviously it comes up in season two as we get uh most most prominently obviously with kirden you know we have our big kirden the shipwright episode when um, they're they're at the shore, and Kierden decides to stay and sort of recognizes his own purpose and his own calling. Um, but but it's you know it's in that episode we're not exactly covering the sea longing exactly. We're focused on Kierden, right, and and sort of his job. Um, what I think is going to be really interesting to try to capture, or at least to set up, um, is that. The elvish sea longing, you know, what does that what does that mean? The sea longing is such a prominent theme uh, in Tolkien, but I think it's it's something that's easy to recognize, 
but anyway, but I anyway find it difficult to uh, to understand, right? Exactly what is it about it? Um, what it, what exactly is the relationship between elves and the sea? And I do think, Phil, as you were saying, it all it all comes down to the music of Iluvatar, right? That that you know, it is they are. Uh, they love the sea and are drawn to the sea because they're hearing the echo of the music in the sea more clearly than they hear it anywhere else. And um, it would be really fun to try to capture that. Uh, and both in the sense of capturing that in the score and in thinking about um, ways in which we can visually capture that too. Yeah. So, Phil, would would there be different versions? I, I don't want to, like, th- this is going to sound, like, terribly oversimplified, but, like, would there be a saltwater and a freshwater version? Of <laughs> and I, I, I know that sounds frivolous, but what I mean is, because there, there's a difference, right? There's a difference between Olmo and the sea, but yet we also know that Olmo is in every stream and pool, right? So, um, and I would think that when we're talking about both, whether we're thinking broadly about the echo of the music that can be heard in the water. I would think that the echo that you would hear in a stream or in a little waterfall would be quite different than that, which you would hear in the, in the surf, right on the shore. Um, And then in addition, I would also think that the thinking about what we, what we brought up briefly when we were talking about tour at Vinyamar, the, um, the, the, Influence of Olmo, right, and how he, you know, the, the, his giving dreams to people, which we were talking about introducing for the first time in uh, in season two, and which we'd certainly get more of uh, later on. Obviously, most prominently in the the dreams with uh, Turgon and uh, uh, and Finrod, um, but. But anyway, you know, we're 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 going to get that kind of so so clearly. Omo rising from the surf and confronting Tuor, right? That's Omo coming on a different way, right? A little more strongly than he does when he sends visions, you know, to people who are who are sleeping next to rivers. Um, so that's that that's ultimately the kind of thing that I mean when I talk about a freshwater versus a saltwater uh, uh, music theme. But yeah. I think uh, yeah, I think I think yes, there will be a difference. Sometimes when when Olmo is acting directly, mm-hmm. then yes, the music has to mirror Olmo's theme specifically. But other times, yes, it can just mirror um, and as as I said, if the if the music is like a re a retelling of the um, of the music, then then even the current events can be echoed in the in 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 the water um yeah i'm not exactly sure how to do that but um, but it's a tantalizing idea um but but yeah yeah so i see when olmo is acting directly yes olmo's theme but at other times yes the music would be would be different an echo of the first second or third themes um depending on i think what's happening in the story right 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 cool all right. Well, let's get on to some of the actual uh, themes that you've composed here, so we can uh, we can we can talk about some of these in particular. Um, and uh, let's 
let's start with that um, uh, most essential and pivotal of all of the themes uh, from season two, the Bobway theme, um, uh, which I, I think we can all agree is. Uh, Before you start, uh, brownie points for people who can recognize the three Elvish themes, established, the established Elvish themes in there. Yeah, I know. I know you like to put kind of Easter egg references to to to, to Howard Shore themes in some of these, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. In this one, particularly. Yeah. Well, we should explain. We should explain for Ted's benefit because Ted isn't going to get the joke. So, Ted, this all came from a joke, and it's Trish's fault. This is completely Trish's fault. It's uh, always Trish's fault. <laughs> this I came, thought it was Dave's fault. <laughs> uh, uh, Dave fans the flames. Yeah, exactly. This came in when we were talking about the three ambassadors. Uh, and uh, Dave and Trish started joking about like the fourth ambassador who didn't make it back from Valinor. Uh, and uh, I'm pretty sure it was Trish who decided that his name should be Bobway. And uh, and then and and Bobway like quickly became this kind of uh, a, a cult figure and inside joke uh, for for several weeks. Uh, in... he, he even lives in Middle Earth now in Lotro. Uh, that's right. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, so he's anyway, so, so people were talking about like the, you know, uh, Bob way is the originator of all of those, like other sub, uh, subgroups of elves, uh, less reputable groups of elves that crop up in, in various other legends and traditions, uh, such as the Keebler elves and that kind of thing. And Santa's elves. Santa's elves. And yes, exactly. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) So, so in this, uh, responding to the spirit of this joke, and at that time, as I recall, uh, 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 Phil uh, did a did a theme for Bobway. Oop. I recognize that one. So, and, um, oh, hang, hang, sorry, yes, I meant to turn off auto. I managed, managed to find the um, find the little Elvish Kilroy, which fitted in very well with the theme. <laughs> yes, yes, I, uh, I I love the um, uh, 
um, I love the way in which you know, sort of the the the, the main the, the sort of the narrative structure of that theme, right? How you have like the you know uh, 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 what sounds to me like a sort of dopey and comic Bob way kind of uh, you know bouncing along and then encountering the different yeah. Elvish cultures as he wanders through. Uh, I think that's uh, that's. That's really funny. Yes. yes. Hakan, I agree. Uh, wandering cluelessly in the wild is exactly what it invokes. Um, yeah. Yeah. Yes. They were, they were the, the woodland realm of Thrand, Thrand you will. Mm-hmm. Um, the little Lothlorian theme and then the Rivendell theme. Yeah. The Lothlorian theme is the one that I, that I definitely recognize yeah. there in the middle. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> cool. All right. Okay. Anyway, but moving on to the, to the serious themes now. Um, uh-huh. So uh, let's let's talk about your 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 Myron themes here, which is uh, so yeah, the, the Myron melancholy, which came up next. And and again, Ted, to give some uh, to give some context here, uh, our our primary emphasis we're, we're wanting to not just ha- introduce Sauron as a villain, of course, but really to show the course of his fall. That's one of the things that that we're really enjoying doing, giving more time to the story and sort of expanding it chronologically as we're doing in our adaptation. Um, we right. want, we, we want to, to give much more scope to, uh, to the decline and fall of the villains, not just having the, so we, we, we did that even with Melkor, uh, uh, to a significant extent, but to a much more ex- significant extent with, uh, with Sauron, who is originally Myron, uh, right. the, the the Maya of uh, of Aule. So season one really brought Myron from, you know, a faithful servant of Aule, uh, his his growing relationship with Melkor, and then in the very final episode, his sort of decision to 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 shift his his loyalty, um, and then in the second season, of course, he's. Uh, Melkor has been imprisoned, and he's left in Middle Earth, and it's just him and Gothmog, right? They're the they're the two captains of Melkor who are both left, and both of them kind of jockeying for power and with different sort of visions of how they're supposed to continue, you know, Melkor's work in Middle Earth. Um, but Myron, of course, whereas Gothmog is already just a thug and fairly and fairly brutal, uh, we, we gave the Balrogs their quite precipitous fall in season one, uh, associated with the with the destruction of the lamps, um, and in season two, we have so we have Myron who is already he's he's committed now, right? You know he he is on Melkor's side, um, but he's not he's still not yet like you know devotedly evil. Uh, he still believes that he is trying to bring about the greater good uh, by a more effective mechanism. You know, uh, being uh, an admirer of uh, you know Melkor's sort of doctrine of of strength rather than uh, rather than uh, 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 Manway's doctrine of of mercy and weakness as 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 Myron came to be convinced. So anyway, so so we've got him with still having some regrets and being kind of the underdog as the Balrogs are very strong and uh, uh, Myron uh, is uh, is is much less so though much more clever uh, and we have uh, so so this is uh, this is the the Myron's melancholy theme <laughs> Thank you. 
yeah, much much slower than the original. Right. Um, and uh, and the use of uh, instruments such as cello, um, very strong there. Um, holding on of some notes and then the quickening of others um, just gives it a very different feel to the original from season one. Right. 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 Yeah. So this is a. Uh an adaptation of his of his old theme uh from from before yeah. yeah i must say that that's what i've had the most fun doing this year is actually reworking the themes right and re- reinterpreting them um and there is there is so much that you can do with with uh, just a series of notes right right yeah yeah, no, that's really neat. Um, do you want me to? I, 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 what I think I'll do, I'll turn down the volume a little bit so that uh, you can feel free to to kind of talk over it mm-hmm. a little bit if you wanna if you wanna uh, you know give us some sure. some some thoughts and pointers while they're while they're playing. Um, mm-hmm. Okay, cool. Let's see. Oh, excellent. All right, so l- let me go on to. Uh, uh, to the other one. So, of course, uh, one of the other things that w- one of the other major things that we had uh, with Myron was uh, his group of people were introducing a bunch of the other antagonists that we're going to be uh, uh, dealing with um, in the uh, in the, the the next few seasons. Um, so we were showing the initial connections between Myron and Dragluin, the father of the werewolves, as sort of the first of his experiments to try to. Um, uh, to try to, 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 to reinforce his position and gain himself allies. We had uh, uh, Tevildo, Prince of Cats, uh, uh, who is uh, uh, this sort of independent spirit because he's a cat. Uh, so he's an independent spirit who sort of works with Sauron, but not always very well. And then we have uh, 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 Thurin Gwethil, the vampire, who is... Um, uh, uh, more his sort of peer and ally. So this is the so so Phil the Myron and his posse theme is the one for to sort of when 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 they're sort of together and working together. Mm, correct. Okay. So you now the the visuals yeah you play, the the visuals don't actually match with what's going on in the music they're just there to help <laughs> okay. us understand right okay well you can go ahead if you wanna if you wanna talk mm. about the different instrumentation and stuff as we go through to sort of t- uh, mm. talk of, talk about the different mm. members we can we can do that so okay so much more militaristic yeah. I've shortened the uh, shortened the opening there, so they've really got their own motif now. Yeah. And I've used different instruments for each character, so each person each person is now taking on Myron's theme rather than having their own individual things. Right. Yeah, so there are a few times there where the the theme is sort of reiterated one instrument after the other. Mm-hmm. And um, and then there are other times when they're all speaking together. So I thought that was different ways of of getting across the message that they're all working together. Right, right. 
Yeah, no, I, I really like uh, that. <laughs> Sorry, my, my my YouTube keeps randomly starting at various and unpredictable moments. Um, uh, yeah, no, I, I think that's great. I, I really like the uh, the way that those that those work together, and I love the way in which, as you say, they kind of work around uh, to Myron's theme. I, you know, because clearly Myron he doesn't work by force; he works by manipulation, right? Um, you know, whether it be you know by by argument and, and, and trying to convince others that his way is right. Um, or simply by, by sort of by cunning and by wile. Um, but we have to remember, of course, Myron is the one, you know, who is going to be Anatar as well, his ability to, to sort of woo people, right. And, uh, convince them that, uh, he is, uh, looking out for their best interests and, uh, uh, and everything is, is clearly a major element of him. It's, an an element which is easy to forget when you think only of the Sauron of the Lord of the Rings, right? But of course, you don't have to go back all that far uh, to see Sauron acting in different ways. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, cool, cool. Other 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 thoughts from others on the the Myron themes? I don't have anything I can really throw in that uh, really. Uh add anything more that I can think of. Uh, okay. I just had this thought that when you, you know, Tevildo came up and <laughs> Angolian is, uh, uh, you know, the mother of uh, Shelob and there's Sauron with his cat, Shelob. <laughs> right. So, uh, you know, missing the Tevildo days. <laughs> <laughs> right, exactly, yeah. Yeah, yeah, the way, the, 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 the parallel there, there with, with, uh, uh, with Shelob. Yeah, it'll be interesting, uh, 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 Phil, to be thinking about Shelob in connection, both with Ungoliant and with uh, with some of the Myron's posse music as well. <laughs> She's going, because the, the interesting thing about that, right, is that it kind of depends on the point of view, right? Um, Sauron looks on her as if she were, you know, his pet or at least his instrument. Whereas she clearly views herself as a free agent, right, and does not see herself as uh, affiliated with Sauron at all. Uh, so that would be kind of an interesting thing to try to capture. Yeah. But that's looking forward really quite a bit. So. Uh, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> uh, Nick likes how uh, Tevildo is following his own melody uh, in the uh, in the the music as well which is which is cool um and uh nick suggests by the way says we're we're gonna have to give tevildo a spectacularly inconsequential death um well i still am going to advocate that that we have huan kill tevildo um uh but we'll have to see how that comes up of course it's going to be challenging uh, that's going to be one of the really interesting things to be working on in season three and especially season four because and, and season five presumably uh, because of course, Tevildo's main role in the story is gone, uh, uh, replaced by Sauron himself from the Book of Lost Tales. So, uh, in uh, you know, we've we've retained Tevildo because he's awesome, uh, but of course, he doesn't have an explicit canonical job anymore. <laughs> so we're gonna have to figure out exactly where he fits. Uh, Hakon, of course, Nick reminds you that uh, he does need to be killed uh, uh, at least you know nine times. So uh, we have to. <laughs> We have to keep that in mind. We, the killing off Tevildo is something we can uh, we can do again and again. So, uh, 
So that's that's all good. All right. Well, let's talk about the um, uh, let's talk about the uh, Melkor themes. So, what order do you want to do these in? Do you want to do um, Melkor the Deceiver and then his fall? Um, yeah, the Deceiver. We did the Deceiver last year, but um, we can do it again. Okay, yeah, let's 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 do it again because you were thinking this would come in a lot uh, during the like post post trial, right after he's uh, after he's released and among yes. the Noldor, right? Yes. Yeah, so it still has his um, uh, triad there, right? Decided to keep the human voices in there because he, he said he wanted them associated with the children of Lugatar only. Right. Mostly because the elves are the ones that he is deceiving. Right. And in a way, he's talking their language. Um, so yeah, it's very, it's very seductive. Why it's a bit sickly sweet. Yes. But yes, it's just a reiteration of the yeah. first thing from earlier. Um, but uh, yes, using voices, fire instruments, um, slowing it down as well. Yeah. This this particular part I can really see, kind of playing in the background as he's like walking and speaking with the with the Noldor. Great. Now, I, and I, I love how the triads work. Um, and the triads give a really wonderful opportunity for um, just because it, it's a really recognizable musical moment, right? That isn't like, especially, you know, if it's kind of in the background, it's not going to be horribly uh, intrusive, but it's going to be memorable. It's going to be recognizable, right? And I can just, you know, as I was listening to it there through, I was, it was easy for me to picture a lot of, uh, a lot of these scenes, right? Where you have Melkor... Um, talking with people like the scene, say for instance, where he comes in and he's talking to Nerdanel uh, at the forge, right? And they're 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 there together at at the forge, and you've got, um, you know, maybe you have some of the sub creation theme in the background, like s- some of that some of that Ainulindale theme one kind of music going on, right? As uh, as, as they're there in the forges working. Uh, and then Melkor comes in uh, to talk to her, and we we sort of transition from that sub creation theme into that uh, that Melkor the Deceiver uh, theme. And then, like when they stop talking, right? And you know, we're sort of showing showing Melkor standing there. You know, we get the just a, a few of those triads in the background, right? I I, I really mm. like it. I mean, it's it's I, I I can really see how this how how that theme would, could could work really well. Yeah, I think they'll also feature very heavily in Melkor's chaos in the Anal Indelay. 
Yes. Yes. Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah, no, you know, we have the question, is it, uh, uh, would, would the music be too sort of obviously nefarious for that moment? Like, you know, again, we don't want to be totally tipping our hand that, uh, uh, that he's, you know, uh, uh, Ted, one of the things that we were working on throughout season two, one of the challenges that we were trying to address was how to make the deception of the Noldor plausible. That is to, 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 not to make the Noldor look dumb, right? So that the whole time the, the viewers are thinking like, oh, it's so obvious he's just lying the whole time. Um, to try to get the viewers to some extent, not to actually believe that he has reformed or to actually believe that he's a good guy, but at least to be able to come alongside the Noldor and understand what they see in him, right? And uh, and why they believe w- w- uh, what it is uh, that he says. Um so I mean I'm thinking you know Phil when we have a scene like that this some of the some of the concepts of this underlying theme would be mixed with other uh uh with other uh with other themes and other we we, we wouldn't just p- be playing the pure Melkor the deceiver theme uh in the background even in a scene like I was describing um but I would love for there to be elements of it Mm-hmm. I mean, one one theme that I toyed with a little bit was um, the three kindreds, mm-hmm. um, but it was proving incredibly difficult because it had to be three three tunes, and each one would represent each of the three kindreds. But in a way, they all had to merge together very well. Right. Not an not easy thing to do. But <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, so, so, so so yeah 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 the Noldor theme. And then, would, would be prominent in those things as well. Right, right. And I was thinking, and then of course you have the additional complexities, right? Because then you have to, you have to have the theme of like the Sindar of Doriath become differentiated from the theme of you know the Teleri, uh, the Teleri of of you know like the the Falathrim out at the Havens and and the you know exact. And, in other words, you need to musically come up with a, a parallel for Tolkien's Tree of Tongues, right? You know, just as the, just as just their languages <laughs> differentiate over time, so their musical themes need to differentiate over time and yet be demonstrably connected to each other. Uh, so yes. yeah, so that's all you have to do. All you have to do is come up with a you know with a musical parallel to uh, to Tolkien's philological uh, language tree, and it'll be fine. So we'll get Howard Shaw on the job. <laughs> well, well, look, I don't know whether this is planned or not, but um, his his theme, um, Nature's Reclamation, from the movies, incorporates Ents and Eagles. Mm-hmm. Anyone tell me that's a coincidence? Right, right. No, I'm sure. I'm sure it's not. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, cool. All right, well let's so okay. let's do the so the next yeah, one is yeah. Melkor's fall, right? That's the one. now now tell me yeah. about when you were thinking about the, the sort of the the timing of this. Is this like a theme that we would save until the end, like until the the, the yes. final episode? Yeah. Well, the fall the fall uh, I've, I've got a separate one which is just the first just, part of this which is called the fall. Okay. And the fall could be used with any character, with any character who undergoes some kind of fall. Um, but with Melkor's fall, I've just tacked on Mel- Melkor's bit on the on the end of that. So so better to listen to Melkor's fall. Um, and yes, I was envisaging this to be sort of the final scene of the season, which is Melkor sitting sitting down um, on the on the throne in Angband um, with that with that face off with 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 Feanor. Right. Um, right. 
but but yeah yeah I, yes and the and the final notes are really really um sort of show the conflict that's going to happen right right cool well let's le- let's start then with the general fall theme and then we'll see how you're applying it to melkor's fall in particular right because you had the, so the the idea this is one of those several themes that you made which are not connected to particular characters but connected to particular ideas and this is something that uh, di- di- didn't didn't we ask for this at some point during the season to say that you know we're 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 going to want something like that you most certainly did yeah to indicate i was pretty sure i i thought that sounded like our idea yeah exactly <laughs> to uh to be able to have this kind of uh, this kind of a musical motif, uh, be, for, especially for these for these big ideas, they're going to come back again and again, not only through season two, uh, but through other times as well. Um, okay, so here is Phil's fall theme. It's purely geometric. Mm-hmm. Um, it uh, rises, then falls down, rises again, falls down further, claws its way back up, and then lands at the bottom. Right. So, it's, and and the timing's out. The timing's really out on this one. There's no clear beat. It um, it sort of I think it changes from four four to six four in the middle there. Um, so there's nothing regular. There's no regular rhythm to it. Right, right. Oh, like that. Gives it gives it that real uneasy feeling. Right, right, right. Okay. Well, now so now let's so we let's we let's just take we take uh, Melkor's theme and combine it with the concept of the fall. And here's so here's uh, Melkor at the end, having uh, having crossed the line right after the darkening of Valinor. There's no going back for him. The opportunity for reformation and repentance that was held out to him by Manway uh, uh, at his trial scene in the middle of season two has been completely and forever rejected by Melkor. And this is where, and, and he is now, and this is where we're changing his name, right? Where, where he will, he will be Morgoth from now on. There's even a little motif in there from the Lord of the Rings movies called Weakness and Redemption mm. that I've added in there as well. Okay, and here is the builder. together then except for the human voice and the human voice is really it's just a semitone out but that makes all the difference and it's i take it as what he's going what he's planning on doing to the elves right right oh yeah that's great that's 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 an awesome uh, foreshadowing note to end season two on as of course season Uh three uh will be uh really the onset of the orcs so yeah, that's awesome. That's awesome. Very nice, Phil. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks. 
Okay. Uh, let's see. Who is? Oh, do we want to do some of the other concepts now? Uh, mm, like the, the. I think that's good. Yeah, yeah. So let's do. So let's do. Let's do two of the other concept pieces. Uh, the one was purpose. So we were talking about this as one of the uh, one of the significant themes of season two. Uh, the sort of the the discovery of purpose, which, which is really the answer to the underlying question of where, where do elves belong, Middle Earth or Valinor? Uh, and the answer is, well, no, not exactly either. Um, you know, they have their purpose to fulfill and finding and fulfilling their purpose well, is the point. Um, do you want to do the Elmo one first? Because oh, sure. purpose really came out of that one. Oh, okay, great. Yeah, so let's do it. So this is uh, Omo and the Shoreland Pipers. Do you want to give any background on that one? Um, yeah, it's sort of got about four themes in it. It starts off with Almo and what I've termed his horns. Um, then it moves into a really sort of jaunty piping um, song that the elves by the sea would have uh, would have played. Then it moves into a, a lament, um, and then finally the, the last theme came out of it was a response to that lament, um, and to me that became the purpose, Curtin's purpose. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, um, yeah, and then I explored it later in the, in, in, in the other track, but, um, yeah. yeah, you'll hear it go through four distinct phases and Carita actually, uh, contributed, um, the, 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 the Piper melody to this and I sort of tweaked it and put it all together. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. Okay. All right. Let's, let's hear it. Very chaotic. Right. Okay, and then like the calm after the storm. Right. And here come the elves. Yep. Playing their pipes on the shores. Right. So this is Kierden now. Yes. Right. I love the other voice that comes in there. to do another one um, with uh, Lenway and the Ents. Yes. Ending with, ending with the same theme that when he discovers his purpose. Right. But, exactly. uh, 
yeah, but, but then I decided that wasn't enough of the purpose. I needed to explore it more fully. So that's what this one is. Okay, so this, so you, so, you, so you, you've extracted that. So, so the first one was Omo, the Teleri, and then culminating really with with Kierden. So that really kind of came out of the Kierden episode, basically. Yes. Yes. Okay. All right. So yeah, it would be it would be really fun to hear a to hear a Lenway and the Ents version uh, uh, of this, and then even. Uh, um, you know, I, I would I would think it would have to be significantly varied, um, but you know, I'm thinking even of a, uh, uh, a single and million version, right? Mm-hmm. You know, like if uh, if there could even be some echoes of the of the of the purpose music that and again it would, it would have to be very different, right? Um, when uh, when 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 Thingol meets Million. Um, because of course it has to be heavily influenced by Melian's presence and by Melian's mm-hmm. themes, but um, uh, but but again it, it, thematically that's part of it too, right? Elway doesn't just get left behind. You know, he he finds his own purpose there in his union with Melian. Um, uh, so again, just th- thinking about the whole Teleri set, right? Lenway, Fingal, Kierden. Uh, Olway, right? As Olway goes and and uh, uh, is established, you know, uh, first on Tolaresia and then on in Alquilande, right? We we'd get the same kind of thing. Okay, anyway, let's let's hear the let's hear the 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 more fully developed purpose theme here. So much slower for a start, right? And not many instruments, right? So at this point, it's just a germ, right? Yeah, just the, an idea, right? The idea of a this is like really a solitaire, like an individual sort of seeking here. Yes, right. Yes, and and just the beginnings of it. And you hear with the guitar there, right? It's developing, developing an urgency. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But it's not to say that purpose is urgent, it's just to say that the process is happening. Right. And the person's slowly starting to learn what their purpose is. Yes. The theme's not fully stated here either. It's only a part theme. Okay, we gain a bit more tempo. Got two instruments playing together there to right. reinforce it. Again. 
neat. I really like how that one unfolds. I think there's a, there, there's a, it, it's one of those listening to this theme kind of reminds me of, well, I mean, it reminds me of listening to a soundtrack album, right? You know, when, where you, when you listen to the soundtrack album, you can hear the growth and development of the themes, you know, and the song all the way through. And in the film, you never hear that, you know, you, cause you're, you're just hearing sort of bits of it here and there. So, you know, you'll recognize snatches, but you don't necessarily see the whole full shape of it. I love how, you know, there's a, there's a real narrative uh, in that in that song, right, uh, which comes through really clearly and in a really interesting way. Of course, again, in the show itself, you know, we would never get like all two minutes of that song on end, right? right? Um, but uh, but it certainly does provide lots of interesting uh, uh, opportunities for working in sort of different segments, different elements uh, of that song in in different places. For different people, yeah, a different... little bit like, little bit like a Hobbit's understanding in Lord of the Rings and the Hobbit movies, right? Um, right. A very, very specific theme that's played at particular times when Bilbo um, uh, does his Gollum moment with Frodo at Rivendell, right? Um, and he's saying sorry for giving the ring to him, and then it's played again when Frodo and Gandalf are talking in Moria about Gollum, and Frodo says, "I wish the ring had never come to me." It's finally stated in its fullness at the breaking of the fellowship when Frodo understands what he has to do. Right. It's a really right. nice thing. Really nice. <laughs> yeah. 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 No, that's great. That's really neat. Well, and I, I was, I was, I was so glad that you did this because it, you know, especially as we went along in season two, um, this idea of, of, of purpose and finding purpose really came to, to sort of emerge more and more clearly to me as, uh, as this sort of central idea. And I really like thinking about, um, the, especially the sort of dispersal of the Tulare uh, in this, in this regard. So I, I, I thought it was, it was, it, it was a really neat uh, sort of story tool to be, to be thinking about. Okay. Well, so the one other thematic one that you had was the doom theme. Mm. All right. Any, uh, any, any preamble you want to give to the doom theme? Um, v- very much related to the um, uh, Mendos and um, Vire theme from season right. one. Right. Um, yeah. So, yeah, be a good idea for people at a later time to go back and listen to that one as well so you can hear the similarities. Um, and, um, yeah, yeah, but not, not, not entirely based on the other. Right. Okay. <laughs> Increased sort of brashness, and it's not exactly discord, but it's it's a little jarring there in the middle. It is. 
is getting, this has changed slightly, the tubular bells beating on the opposite beat now. I'm very interested in the shift of the the shift of the bells uh, to the to the different beats because that that happened right before and after that uh, sort of uh, uh, brash attempt to resist uh, mm. the doom in the middle, right? Yes, yeah, that's right. It was beating on one one beat before the shift, and then beating on the opposite beat after the shift. Yeah, yeah. but I think yeah, it just 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 sort of as you get closer to the fulfillment of your doom um it becomes more immediate and more more dominant um and and yeah i think that's that's the that's the way that tolkien depicts the the the, the doom of of people um yeah the um the other thing i've also woven in at the end there you get this little da 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 which comes from the um Mandos and, and Vire, that to me is um, Vire doing her weaving. Right. It's a very mechanical and repetitive da 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 da. Just again right. and again and again. Um, yeah. And so, the and yeah. the those notes at the end, nothing ever repeats. Which to me is like it's it's unique. Everyone's doom is unique, and I could write that in twenty different ways with the different combinations of notes. But all fitting, but all fitting in that theme of doom, right? Oh, yeah, that's 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 fascinating. I love that uh, Maria is talking about how she 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 loves the bells. Uh, me too, Maria. It makes me think of the um, that that line uh, in the Children of Hurin about uh, Turin trying, sort of hearing the feet of his doom uh, pursuing him, right? Um, because of course that's exactly what the feet of doom would sound like. They wouldn't sound like you know a yeah. rush or or patter of feet running behind you. No, your doom comes up behind you in that steady, ineluctable, you know, boom, boom, boom. And it doesn't ever hurry up and it doesn't ever change pace, but you can't escape no matter how fast you run. Uh, yeah, the, the sort of the inevitability of it is really great. Um, and uh, and I love that, that, that idea of sort of hearing the shuttle of Vire uh, uh, in the background as you come closer to the doom there as she is... Uh, you know, silently recording uh, your doom. This uh, raises a question. Sorry, go ahead. Actually, I was, I was going to say when I was reading some of the script outlines, and particularly the outline um, that went to the halls of Mandos and look, looking at Byre's tapestries, I actually heard some of this music in my head. <laughs> yeah. So I'm, I'm hearing I'm hearing my own soundtracks when I'm, <laughs> when I'm thinking about the stories. Well, there you go. See, that's good. That's good. Um, yeah, Marielle is 
reminded of uh, of uh, John Donne's line about uh, you know uh, do not ask for whom the bell tolls you know it, it tolls for thee right and uh, you know that uh, that's a that's a, of course he's talking about death but but you know same same kind of concept here of uh, of, of doom coming sure. on now the these two concept pieces that you've done the purpose piece and the doom piece um, are a really fascinating combination right and it suggests a really interesting question or set of questions. Um, and I want to get too distracted by because we're running low on time now, but, um, but nevertheless, it's something that I think would be interesting to explore. Of course, interesting to explore musically, but also really interesting to, to explore thematically, especially as we move forward. We've not had a whole lot of doom yet, a little bit of doom, but not a whole, we, we had more purpose than doom in season two. Um, Especially, though, of course, after we get um, the kinslaying and the doom of Mandos, we're going to get a lot more doom coming in, right, uh, starting in season three. So it's going to be interesting to think about the relationship between purpose and doom, right? In the one sense, they're similar, right? That is to say, there is this, um, if not necessity, there is this... Uh, 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 I'm trying to think of a word which encompasses both encompasses both of them. Uh, directive placed upon you, right, from outside, because you don't choose either one of those things exactly, right? Um, I mean, it's one of the it's one of the things that I like about the purpose theme is the way that it starts off with you know, which sounds like sounds like somebody traveling, right? It sounds like discovery, because it's it's about discovering your purpose. It's not about inventing a purpose, right? It's not about somebody saying, this is what I want to do. Rather, it's somebody finding what they were meant to do. You know, that's, it's, it's, it's uh, in other words, there's a doom element, a clear doom element in purpose as well. But obviously, the feeling of the two pieces, just as the feeling of the two themes, is quite different. Uh, between doom and purpose. Um, so sort of exploring the boundaries uh, between doom and purpose is, I think, something that's going to be a lot of fun as we move forward. And I can really see some uh, some very interesting ways in which either or both of these two themes can be connected with some of, uh, you know, some of the, the, the themes of some of the other actors and players in, uh, uh, in, in the story later on. Uh, again, as I said, especially as we get into season three and beyond, that's going to, I think, become uh, a more and more interesting question. Yeah. Cool. All right. All right. Let's uh, let's move on. So the 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 last two, right? One of the two more, um, which are both uh, both light related. So I, I want to listen to the birth of the trees. Uh, one which chronologically is from season one, but very relevant because I want to then look at the Silmarils theme uh, after that. Okay, so walk us through the birth of the of the of the trees here. Okay, really a combination of the Avalon Rising theme and um, and the Yavanas theme. Mm-hmm. Yavana's beat in the, in the background there. Yes, yeah, with the percussion. Yeah, yeah. Yes. And I've, re- I've reused some of the visuals that I used from season one as well, just to reinforce those. So this is this is meant to be the the 
during Yovana's song as she's bringing forth the trees? I sort of took this as being a procession. This, right. This is this is lead. This is on the way to to the to the mound. Right. Okay. Right. And Yvonne weeping over. Yeah. yeah. Nina weeping. Right. Yep. Yeah. yeah. Sorry, Nina weeping. Yeah. Okay. This is when she's singing to bring forth the first tree. Sith starting low, slowly going higher, a violin and glockenspiel playing together there to give it sort of a light, and also the glockenspiel is used with barter, some double link, Hopperian with barter. So a better way than with instruments. Right. Okay, Nina weeping again over the second mound, second place. Okay, and these are both sort of different, there are two different Yamana themes, so I haven't quite worked out the difference between them, but... I like this. It sort of this feels like it's coaxing it out of the ground as right. it gets higher and higher. Right. It's almost you can hear it growing. Yes. So are we getting the, the mingling of the lights? Yes, the mingling yeah. of the lights. This was really important that I put this into, into this piece. Um, so this is Tilperian waxing. Right. And now, now it's diminishing and Laurel is coming forward. Yes. And now it's coming down. This is like the golden rain. Once again, Tilperian coming forward. Yes. It's important that the men may say something on such an auspicious occasion. Right. start bubbly again um oh that's great yeah who needs dialogue uh there and we've got the whole scene there right i i i love the way the blending of the lights works uh in those i think that's that 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 works that works just wonderfully and my absolute favorite moment in that whole theme is the final weeping by niana um you know the way that the 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 very 
light, bright, and festive music of the occasion, right, as everyone else is celebrating. You know, we get that that, that brief interruption, right, with a cutaway to Nienna. Um, and what I think is such an important moment, right, as everyone else is celebrating and everybody else is happy to have Nienna still weeping, right? Um, you know, the, the viewers might expect her weeping to, you know, turn into joy as the trees and, and everyone else is responding in joy. And instead, uh, yeah, she continues to weep, uh, picking up on what might be my favorite, uh, 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 suggestion I had of the whole season of that, uh, direct parallel to have her kneeling in exactly the same spot, weeping in exactly the same way, both times, right. When the trees rise, uh-huh. And when the trees are destroyed at the end, um, everything around her is different, right? Um, uh, the joy and wonder and celebration of everyone else on the first occasion, uh, the 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 shock and horror and uh, and weeping of the second occasion, and there's Nienna in the middle, kneeling in the same place, weeping and dropping her tears on the same mound. Um, uh-huh. So I, 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 I love that. I, I, so I, I love the way that that inter, I mean, without, without derailing it, the way that that with, you know, really sort of, the, there's that brief interruption, um, as you sort of look over and recognize that Nina is still weeping. I love that. Uh, love that. I think that's, that, that, that really came from that discussion that you had most recently, um, about the birth and the death of the trees being so closely intertwined. Yeah. Um, and, and as, as I've, as I've said, i before I even embarked on the Silmarils, I had to have something for those two trees. Right. I had to, like, I couldn't do the Silmarils on their own. They have to come from the trees. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. So let's look at the Silmarils then. Uh, here we go. Yeah, I've used a lot of pitched percussion in this, like, Vibraphone, marimba, um, Wappenspiel, to give it a very light feel. And yeah, it just had to be a, a, um, a melding of sounds rather than a specific series of notes in a theme. Um, but it does echo uh, sleep with the, with the um, coming down my steps um, and also what I've done is um, Felperian's theme is much simpler mm-hmm. because it's contained and it doesn't have the freedom now um, and, and also um, uh, Telperion's theme has to be a foreshadowing of um, Tillian's waywardness right 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 that's great um, oh, we come back to the fall after the Silmarils. How appropriate. Um, I put them all in chronological order. <laughs> right, right. Yeah, that's great. That's great. And I, I love the, the, the way that you've established, yeah, that kind of uh, inorganic sound, right? The sort of crystalline uh, sound with all of that, with all the percussion, as you were, as you were describing. Uh, and the way that uh, that kind of overlays and frames it seems, uh, seems, seems really appropriate. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. Now I wonder: Are we going to use the Silmaril theme? I mean, obviously, you know, we'll pull out the Silmaril theme when the Silmarils get pulled out. But really, 
the Silmarils spend comparatively little time on camera, you know, through the entire series. Once, once, uh, I mean, could fairly quickly, they start getting concealed and hoarded rather than displayed. So we'll get a few nice Silmaril shots at the beginning when Feanor is still wearing them at parties, but, uh, but we're not going to, uh, we're not, we're not going to stay there that long. Um, oh, no, it doesn't, does, doesn't have to be that. Whenever they're mentioned, yeah. you can bring out the theme a, l- a little bit like, um, in, in The Hobbit, when the great goblin says to Thorin, I know someone who has put a pretty pious price on your head, a pale orc on a white walk. <laughs> right. you, hear, you hear Azog's theme played as right. he speaks those words. Right, right. So you don't need a person physically there right. to have their theme playing. Yeah, I was, and, and Marielle was asking the same thing that I, or that I was just thinking about too, was uh, how we we're clearly going to want to incorporate the theme of the Silmarils, uh, into, uh, the oath, right? We're going to, we're, we're going to obviously need an oath of Feanor theme, right? Um, uh, for season three, that's, that's, that's very clear. Uh, and, but see, the thing is, it can't just be, it needs to be connected to the Silmarils, but I wonder, you know, how closely it should be connected to the Silmarils, because I've always felt that, uh, a lot of people want to talk about the Silmarils as if they cause all the mischief, right? Um, and I don't think the Silmarils cause the mischief. I think that's a misunderstanding. That the problem is not in the in the Silmarils themselves. It's in the people who desire them and 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 you know the greediness of the love with which they are coveted. Um, it, it's to 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 call the Silmarils themselves an evil influence always seems to me almost like blaming the victim. Um, and uh, uh, so anyway, thinking, especially thinking as you were describing here very clearly the sort of musical genealogy, right? The, the theme of the Silmarils is by necessity the, the theme of the trees or, you know, very closely connected to the theme of the trees because it's, it's, the, it's the encapsulation. It's the, uh, you know, it's the, the, the rendering permanent, permanent of the theme of the trees. And you can't have the theme of the trees be the theme of the Oath of Feanor, right? Because the Oath of Feanor doesn't have anything to do with, the, with you know, the beauty of the trees. Here he's gone far uh, afield from the, uh, uh, you know, from the, the beauty of the trees. So, um, but again, it's obviously the Silmarils are involved, right? They are the focal point of the whole Oath. So uh, kind of uh, thinking through that relationship, I think is going to be really interesting to represent. Hmm. So you know you got a little bit of time to think about that one, Phil. You know you have to you have to work yeah, on the yeah. the Oath of Feanor theme, uh, but uh, but yeah yeah I think that's actually. Really but look, cool. this is this this is all good because as these themes develop, it'll be getting closer to it'll be getting closer. And we've discussed the Anal Interlane now. Mm-hmm. Um, I'll be now relating themes back to the Anal Interlane and hopefully being able to form those those three themes and that's yes. going to take a while as i said give me a few years um, <laughs> actually actually said nick nick said this week on the forums that he wanted to um that he wanted to hear the anal interlay by philip menzies but um I, I i said to him look it's not going to happen anytime soon but when it does happen i'll present a paper on it on at Mythmoot. that's right that's good that's good. And fortunately, uh, some film isn't going to be finished anytime soon, so you have plenty of time, you know, yeah. to uh, be uh, having this develop over over years. So, yeah, that'll be awesome. That'll be awesome. Um, 
Yeah, yeah, neat. Um, okay, cool. Yeah, oh, and uh, Marie points out, of course, that there needs to be a lot of doom uh, in, the Oath of, uh, in the Oath of Feanor theme as well. Uh, that does seem... Though, though I would say, Marie, as well, I think we need a separate Doom of Mandos theme. Right, which is obviously connected to the Oath of Feanor uh, uh, theme, but not the same as the Oath of Feanor. Much more doomy, right? Uh, um, I mean, the uh, yeah, the 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 music that plays in the background, you know, while the the doom is pronounced there uh, after the kinslaying, it's got to be uh, it's got to be pretty awesome. So, yeah, neat, cool. Well. Uh, this was a really fun discussion, both the, the first half when we were kind of ranging more freely and thinking about these larger themes and issues, and then more specifically going through, Phil, some of the, the, the wonderful work that you've done here. Um, any final, uh, final thoughts, any, any, any sort of larger uh, uh, thematic ideas or questions that, uh, that some of these specific things have raised in anyone's mind, kind of opening it back to our whole panel again here at the end? Uh, any, any, any thoughts or questions or, or uh, uh, wonderings that you guys had during, uh, during that discussion? I don't think I have anything to add particularly. Um, I just enjoyed uh, hearing the process and dissection of uh, these themes and ideas and definitely can relate to how that would work. And uh, I commend Phil on this amazing amount of work and thought that he's put into this thing. And you can really kind of imagine some of these things being orchestrated in a very you know, big way as well. Yeah. Mm. Oh, I could, I could do a lot better if I had some decent software. <laughs> <laughs> but I can, I can hear what you're doing. The germs of the ideas are there. Yeah, yeah. 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 Well, forget the software, Phil. We we need to get an orchestra together is what we need, obviously. So, yeah. It's all very operatic, basically. I mean, there's like, the Silmarillion is like 10 operas. <laughs> right, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Especially when it when it stretches over uh, 10 to 20 seasons of television. So, absolutely. Well, yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, th- thanks. I appreciate that, Ted. Oh, Yeah. I mean, it has to be a musical, a central, centrally a musical enterprise. I would think they're still running adaptation. Um, so, you guys are on the right track, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. No, it is, and I've been so thankful for Phil stepping in and and uh, and doing this work because it is, uh, it is such an essential element to what the Silmarillion is to be thinking through um, the musical implications there. So, yeah, I always. I always enjoy coming back to the music at the end of the seasons as we've been developing the ideas and uh, uh, giving Phil some time to some time to think about that. So, yeah, great stuff, great stuff. Um, okay, hey, Marie says she's she has recruited a friend to sing in Quenya for our soundtrack. So we've got a voice. That's our, our first step towards our uh, towards our live performance of some of these uh, themes, that, Phil. So there you go. We'll continue to work. We'll be recruiting uh, uh, musicians uh, uh, slowly over the years, and we'll we'll get it together. <laughs> awesome. Well, thanks everybody uh, for joining us today. This ends our discussion of season two. Uh, we're gonna have a, we're gonna have a short hiatus. I'm traveling for a little bit anyway. Um, I think we're probably gonna come back. Um, right around Mythmoot time, actually, is when we're when we're uh, we're probably going to kick out uh, uh, kick off season three. Um, 
we'll be sending out emails for those of you who have been attending so that you can uh, get the correct links to uh, to attend the sessions and everything for season three. Looking forward to starting the planning. We'll be doing some film film discussion uh, at, uh, at, at, at Myth Mood, of course. And then uh, looking forward to launching into things. I know we've been uh, there have been so many occasions on which we've had to restrain ourselves uh, talking about uh, uh, the kinslaying, which I know we've all been looking forward to. Uh, who doesn't enjoy a good kinslaying after all? So, um, and there's a sentence I bet you never thought you'd say. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. But thanks to everybody who has contributed to, uh, uh, to, to, to making season two so much fun. You know, I think back, you know, even just, uh, uh, Phil starting off with, uh, with your Bobway theme here this evening and thinking back to, you know, the jokes we were making back at the beginning of season two and thinking about all the, you know, all that has happened and all of the ideas that we've had and the ways this has grown. Uh, this has been in so many ways, such a wonderful example of what I always hoped that film film would be you know think about how quickly um the whole just you know the the whole traveling of the elves across middle earth to get to valinor for the first time think think about quickly that all happens right um and how brief are the glimpses that we get into you know the lives and stories of the avari and of you know lenway and the sylvan elves um and you know even at that point of thingol and uh and of and even less of 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 Cirden and olway and uh, so just, to, you know, to be able to really sit down with these things, this is exactly what I was so excited about initially about the film film project in the first place to um, uh, to be able to um, think through these things, to, to be inventing stories, but to be thinking about it in the context of the themes of of Tolkien asking, you know, and, and this is where I've, I've really enjoyed our frame as well, you know, framing it with this question, which is a really interesting and fundamental question in Tolkien's world about where exactly is Elven home? You know, where, where do, where do elves belong and what is their, you know, how, how do we, how do we understand the complicated relationship between elves in Middle-earth on the one hand and elves in Valinor on the other hand? Um, so, you know, it, as a as an opportunity to think through some of these ideas, as an opportunity to uh, to to imagine and imagine much more fully uh, some of these characters and stories of which we only receive such short glimpses in the story, it's been great fun. So uh, I hope you guys will all come back and join us for season three as uh, 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 the action starts to get a little bit more intense and we start to uh, get into full blown tragedy in season three. So. Uh, 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 that'll be uh, that'll be fun. And think of the orc themes you'll get to write, Philip. Oh man! <laughs> yes, yes. The the torment of the wretched, miserable, hateful orcs. Oh man, um, that's going to be awesome. So. Thanks, everybody. Thanks for joining us today. Thanks for thanks again to our special guest. Thank you, Phil, for staying up late uh, and and uh, and helping us and, and uh, to think through the music. Thank you so much, Ted, uh, for joining us. Hope you'll come back and join us another time. Thank you, Corey, and I appreciate it. I very much welcome. We'll see you in about a month. <laughs> Absolutely. Look forward to seeing you at Mythmoot. So, and thanks, thanks, Dave and Trish, as always, for being here and for being such of a big course. part of this. We were the silent support team. <laughs> yeah, well, it's always a, always a pleasure to, to hear the, um, like you said, Corey, this was the original vision for the Silmarillion film project. Yes. Yep. Us, like, you know, talking and speculating on a podcast. Right. Um, that the wider community would be involved and that there, there would be 
multiple acts of subcreation. So, yes. so these are some always some of the most fun episodes where we get to sit back and kind of absolutely see and hear what our community's doing. Yes, yes, absolutely, absolutely. Great, wonderful. Well, thanks again, everybody. Look forward to seeing uh, look forward to seeing you at Mythmoot if you're able to make it uh, to Mythmoot, and uh, look forward to uh, to seeing you at future film film episodes as we move into season three. So, thanks for listening, and Godspeed. <laughs>